Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Yeah, one of my all-time favorite Bible characters. Love, love these uh, passages. They're, they're amazing. We're going to be talking about Joseph for the next three weeks. Because uh, the stories of Joseph take us right through to the end of Genesis. And we, even though, and I we're talking about the stories of Joseph, really, uh, this still fits within the framework of the patriarchs. Because you notice Joseph's name's not on that slide. Um, because Joseph is not a patriarch proper. Um, maybe I'm nuancing a little bit here. But, ba- but, but, but there it is. This is still the... Uh, the uh, ge- generation of Jacob. These are Jacob and his children. That's what finishes out the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis ends with Jacob and all his children in Egypt. And then Jacob dies and Joseph dies. And we move into the book of Exodus. So we're still talking about the, the days of the patriarchs and the children of, of, uh, of Jacob. Um. Hmm. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today and for your spirit who convicts us of the truth of your word. And we just thank you for the ministry of your spirit in our lives. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive today what you have for us from your word. And help us to understand and help us to apply it. Soften our hearts, Lord, we pray to, uh, to you. And Lord, uh, we have lots of concerns on our hearts today and lots of people that we're praying for. And Lord, you know uh, the need of each heart. And you know those who would like to be here today and couldn't be here and those who uh, were hurting, those we love. We just, we pray for them even even uh, right now. Um, pray for Jerry Crosby. And uh, continue to ask for Susan Taylor and, and uh, Chet and Vera's family and just so many others, Lord. We pray for Sean and Buck and Alicia and Steve and Norm and all the others who are in Honduras, and we thank you that you're giving them just a tremendous opportunity to represent us there and to bless those uh, young people and, and serve in your name. And Lord, uh, just just use them mightily and keep them safe, we pray. And Lord, for all the unspoken needs this morning, we just lift them up to you as well. And we thank you, Lord, that you are uh, you are very aware of what it is we uh, really need in our lives and that you're watching over and care for each one of us personally. We thank you for that today. And now we pray that you would give each of us personally the ability to understand and apply your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So back a couple of weeks ago, Jerry Weatherby spoke on um, Jacob's time in uh, uh, Aram and all of the children that he had there. And you caught all that. 
You remember all those 12, 13 children that are named, counting Dinah? Right? I don't think I can do it, but let's give it a go. Reuben, are you here, Reuben? No, he's out. He's out with the with the young people. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. First four sons born to Jacob and Leah. Okay. Uh, Rachel is very distraught by this time. Gives uh, is it Bilda maybe? I get the two the two handmaids. What names confused? But um, oh, we have a slide. Uh, I know we were going to show this in a bit, but let's bring it up there, uh, uh, Don. Thank you. Here we are. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Uh, Rachel uh, is uh, very very distraught. Uh, she's she's barren, so she gives her yeah B- Billa uh, to Jacob, and and they have Dan and Naphtali. And then Zilpha says, well, if that's the way you want to go about it, and gives her a handmaid to Jacob, and they have Gad and Asher. And then after that, Leah bears three more children, Issachar, Zebulun, uh, and a daughter, Dinah. And then, and then uh, you know, it's really, really interesting here. Uh, I'll read this to you. You don't need to look it up. But Genesis 29, 31, this whole thing starts with these words. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Did you read that? Do you remember reading that through? Uh, that's a significant statement, isn't it? I don't want to rehearse the whole story because uh, you know, Jerry did a great job with it. But, but uh, uh, Laban tricked Jacob into marrying Leah when Jacob thought he was marrying Rachel. And he loved Rachel and eh, wasn't as fond of Leah. But God chose Leah. <laughs> God chose Leah. You see this here, uh, fourth son right here? Fourth son of Leah? Judah. He was the chosen one. Now they were all chosen, but, but Judah became the line of Jesus. He's the lion of Judah. You've heard that so many times. The lion of Judah, the lion of Judah. Do you know why he's called the lion of Judah? <laughs> because of Judah. The fourth son of Leah. But if you didn't read all this, you wouldn't know. You would just think, oh, the Lion of Judah, isn't that great? He's the Lion of Judah. You'd have no sweet clue what that means. But, but that's okay because we operate that way a lot of the time anyway, right? Um, so here it is, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. There they are. And these names will figure prominently throughout the rest of the Old Testament and into the New. Saul of Tarsus was a proud, zealous member of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. It's all in the New Testament too, okay? And uh, Jesus was of what tribe? Okay, just testing. Okay. Is it just me or is it really hot in here? It's really hot in here. I have a t-shirt on, so I may have to take my shirt off if it gets any hotter. Uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Genesis 29, 31. It's, a, it's an idiom. It's a figure of speech. It's not that Leah was hated. It was that Jacob preferred Rachel. 
And that's, you, you have that same idiom in the New Testament. When it says, if anyone come after me, he doesn't hate his father and mother. You know, God doesn't want us to hate our father and mother. What's it? So it's, a, it's an idiom. And understanding even here, way back in, uh, in, and I apologize for pointing at the screen because it's not on the screen, but Genesis 37, verses 1 and, uh, no, sorry, Genesis 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Now, but later, God opens Rachel's womb. And she has two children, Joseph and Benjamin. She died giving birth to Benjamin. Did you read that? It's kind of an important part. All these details are significant because they all converge to create the dynamics of the storyline and the and the uh, and the uh, the angst and the drama that we are, are considering. Um, yeah, so it's more of how God works, right? God chose Leah. Who would have thought? You know, you look at Leah and go, yeah, she's pretty normal. Look at Rachel, go, wow, she's amazing. Yeah, God didn't look that way, right? Yeah, anyways. Um, let me see. All these names are significant going forward. Uh, you know, you think, well, there's a lot of them. How do you remember all this stuff? You know, so you have a mental block. Immediately you go, oh, I can't remember all this stuff. And you immediately convince yourself you can't remember all this stuff. Uh, but really, pfft, big deal, right? Now, when I was growing up, there was all kinds of families with 6, 8, 10, 12 kids. It was a common thing. Now it's common for people to have either none or one or two. Uh, but uh, Marilyn, you still hear, yeah, Marilyn. Marilyn's family grew up across the field from us. That's how, that's how my brother Curtis, uh, you know, went looking. He didn't have to go looking very far. He, he could say he wasn't fussy, but I wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> those Curtis is not here today. Where is, where is he? Marilyn, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Eleven. And uh, so, and I can name them all for you. I think I could even get them in order. It's not that hard. You, work, you just have to work at it. I don't know if she can, but I suspect she can. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a common thing. But anyways, uh, one of the things about this family, Jacob's family, is that it was uh, uh, a family built uh, on a culture of... Jealousy. You don't have to be in a big family for that to happen. Uh, that happens in small families too. Uh, and it shows us that God uses broken people and messed up families. Um, so, um, let's see. Genesis 37. Let's, uh, are you there already? You probably are. Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. So living in the promised land, living by faith. And these are the generations of Jacob. See? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the patriarchs proper. And uh, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billa and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. There's bad blood here, okay? 
And uh, part of it has to do with, you know, we're, you know uh, somebody said, I think the, the, um, the um, curriculum guide said, uh, says something like, uh, think about this, Joseph was born into a family with 10 stepbrothers and three stepmothers. Does anybody here have experience with step family? Oh, yes. See, okay. All right. Ten stepbrothers, three stepmothers. Okay? Puts it in perspective a little bit. And then there was the age thing. When it comes to favoritism and jealousy, age plays a role too. It says The passage says he was a boy. And you can just picture those older stepbrothers, right? Get out of here, boy. What do you think you're doing? What do you know? Look at you. You're just a boy, right? Does that happen? All the time. Um, remember David, king? Uh, Alex mentioned him earlier, right? Samuel uh, goes and God says, pay no attention to their stature or their appearance. Jesse brings them all out from the oldest to the youngest. He looks at them all. Nope, none of them. And Samuel's like, what do you mean? There's got to be somebody missing. Oh, no, they're all here. Well, all except for the boy. Right? Get the boy. I want to see the boy. Yeah, you know how it goes. You've read it, right? Um, verse 3. Israel, who's that? Jacob, God changed. You were here last week. You hear Doug, Doug Lake preach? I haven't watched the video yet, but I, I don't need to, to watch to know that Doug preached well because he's really become just a, a tremendous uh, Bible preacher, gospel preacher, and uh, such a blessing. But uh, that's what he was preaching on, J Jacob's name being changed. To Israel and all the significance of that. So here he sometimes he's called Jacob and sometimes he's called Israel. But aren't you glad that the scripture says that God calls himself the God of Jacob and not just the God of Israel? Aren't you glad for that? I hope so. Because Jacob was a scoundrel, just like you and me. Right? And Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. not good. I don't have to tell you that's not good. You know that's not good. And he, it gives the reason because he was the son of his old age. But he had a younger son, Benjamin. Mm, but Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. I don't know what that did for him. Not sure. Don't know on all the reasons. It gives a reason, but is there any good reason? Is there any good reason for loving one of your children and preferring them over the others? No. I hope you know that. I hope you realize that. I hope you don't come away from here saying it's acceptable. You know, Jacob did it. It must be okay. No. It's no more acceptable than the fact that he had four wives. You know? That was never part of God's plan either. I say God's plan. All right? Because God is able to work with messed up people like you and I. But it's not good. Favoritism is not good. 
And he made him a robe or a coat of many colors. Now, we've seen all kinds of pictures of this, and some of them, you look at them and think pretty hideous, but in, 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 in Jacob's day and Joseph's day, it must have been quite something, right? In fact, the same term is used in 2 Samuel to refer to a royal garment. Does that put it in perspective for you? I think it does. So, here it is. The favoritism right out in front of your face all the time. Oh, there's the coat. There's the coat. Why do you always got to wear that coat? You know? Don't you have a closet you can stick that thing in? Just because somebody gave it to you doesn't mean you have to wear it. Right? You didn't wear that sweater you got last Christmas. Right? The coat. The coat is symbolic, isn't it? It's a provocative, visible, constant, in-your-face expression and reminder of their father's favoritism. And it led to more jealousy. Of course it did. Look at verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. I'm going to have to speed up here, aren't I? They hated him. Um, that's where it goes. That's what happens. Uh, let's see. Um, verse 5. I don't. I just realized I don't have that. Oh, yeah, I do have that in, in there, Don. Verse 5. Now, Joseph had a dream. Um, there's nothing wrong with having a dream. Joseph had a dream. But what do you do with that dream? Joseph had a dream when he told it to his brothers. They hated him even more. <laughs> the dreams, we, as we will read on, it becomes obvious. The dream and the one that follows were from God. There's nothing wrong with the dream. There's nothing wrong with having a dream. But what do you do with the dream? Joseph chose to use it to rub it in. This whole favoritism thing, you know, we think, you know, <laughs> um, dreams will factor into Joseph's life in, in very key ways they will figure prominently throughout his life and you'll see that uh, in the, the next over the course of the next two weeks and you've already seen it as you've read so uh, he Joseph, Joseph rubs it in I, want, I just want to say one thing before we read the, the dream and that is that being honest does not mean telling everything that's true. Right? For example, you may be better at something than somebody else is. That does not mean that you should say, oh, I'm better at that than you are. It might be completely the truth. It might be absolutely unequivocally, undeniably true. But that doesn't mean you should say it. So don't get the idea that if you're a, an honest person, because sometimes I hear people say, oh, I'm just, that's just the way I am. I just tell people how it is. Oh, you mean you're rude. And you've made it a virtue. That's wonderful. <laughs> Verse 
verses 5 through 8, the dream. It says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, uh, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered round and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, You're an idiot. They said, you reigning over us, you, you intend in, indeed to rule over us. So they hated him even more. You can see it building. They hate this guy. Man, I hate this guy. Was it Joel talking and, and, and you know, those people? <laughs> you got those people in your life, right? Okay. They may be close. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers, and he said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. <laughs> they couldn't wait to hear it. <laughs> Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father, well, he wasn't so impressed. His father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? He didn't have too much problem with the first dream, but this dream was, uh, was a little hard for him to, to take. He said, uh, say the first dream was agricultural, the second one was astronomical. What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother uh, and your brothers indeed come and bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the sayings, these sayings in his mind. Uh, in mind. Uh, maybe Jacob was remembering back his own life, wondering, remembering how God worked in his life. We're not sure uh, how much he's thinking there, but uh, we know what the brothers were thinking. They hated him. They just hated him. Um, <laughs> so that's where jealousy goes. Um, here's a picture of jealousy. Did you see this one online? <laughs> it is cute. I don't know who posted that. That's that I, came to my attention, but I thought I would share it with the rest of you. It's really cute. Jealousy. Let's read verse 12 uh, and uh, following there. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word, which is code talk. Right? Go check up on them. Come and tell me, give me all the, all the dirt so I can get after them when they come back. Right? So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. Because remember verse 2, it says he gave a bad report to his father about the brothers. Right? So, yeah, put it together. Uh, so he, he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem, and man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. Um, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. You know what happened here, right? They're saying, let's get out of here. Maybe if we go far enough away, this guy won't find us, you know, Right? I, I think that's what's going on. Anyways, he, um, he heads out. He's un, undeterred, as they say. Um, <laughs> and so uh, he heads out. 
And then verse 18 says, they saw him from afar. You can picture this, can't you? You just picture it. If this was a movie, and it is a movie, you can watch it. It's really good. Uh, <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's even better to read it and imagine because God give us, gave us our imaginations for exactly this reason. We can read this and we can imagine exactly what it was like. There they are, and they're all talking about sheep and fires and girls. And they look up, and all of them go, Right? That's what they did. It says they saw him from afar. The moment they saw him on the horizon, ah, there he is. Yep. And recognize his completely carefree, callous way that he carries himself. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not, but the way you carry yourself has a lot to say about the way you see yourself. Anyways, they cons- they, before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Uh, there were pits there. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. And he said that, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father, which is gallant of him. Um, So when Joseph came to his brothers, They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and they threw him in the pit. And the pit was empty because there was no water in the pit. Oftentimes it would be, but in this case there wasn't. So there he is in the pit. That's probably where this expression in the, the pits came from. This is the pits. In fact, there's a lot of biblical expressions that make their way into our language and our culture because our culture and our language has been so shaped by the Bible, even though we do not always recognize the ways that it is shaped by the Bible. This is probably where the expression comes from because it's not a good place to be. If you're in the pits, it's not good. Here he is in the pit, and where's everybody else? says, they sat down to eat. So here they are, enjoying a meal, and here he is in the pits, in the pit, because that's where jealousy takes us. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4 says, wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Let's read some more. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? 
Take note of his word. What profit is it to us? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. So, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. He is our brother after all. Okay? Judah is no hero in this story. His brothers listened to him, though. Verse 27. Verse 28 says, Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit. Midianites, Ishmaelites, they were uh, basically Arab peoples, and they were cousins of Jacob's. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. 20 pieces of silver. Where have you heard that before? That expression. Did you know, and I think most of you did, but when Judas betrayed Jesus for 20 pieces of silver, this reference here is the first reference in Scripture foreshadowing that event. And if you didn't read the book of Genesis, you wouldn't know that, but that's, the, that's what's there. Because Joseph is a type, speaking figuratively, of Jesus. He is a picture, if you will, a theological picture of Jesus and his brothers out of jealousy. It says there's a place in the Gospels where it says that the religious leaders in Jesus' day delivered him over out of envy, which is a Siamese twin to jealousy. And I don't know if you know the difference between jealousy and envy. Um, I had to look it up because I'm confused. I was confused. And I found out when I looked it up that I have a good reason to be confused because the words have changed their meanings because people use envy when they mean jealousy and jealousy when mean they mean envy in our day and have for years because we don't know the difference. Um, so the word meanings are changing. But I looked, I dug a little bit deeper and I found out that they say that, uh, make sure I get this right, is that envy is what we feel when we want something that somebody else has that belongs to them. Jealousy is what we feel when we are afraid somebody's going to take from us what belongs to us, we feel. So there is a difference, but they're very close. And in the life of Joseph, and in the life of Jesus, and in your life and mine, they play a really big role. And we can learn a lot from these passages. Um, so they sell him, and off he goes to Egypt. They took, him, took, took Joseph to Egypt, it says in verse 28. And so let's read the rest of the chapter. When Reuben returned to the pit. So Reuben, the only possible hero in the story other than God. Um, but anyways, um, he wasn't there when they, when they made this decision to sell him. And, uh, so and when he finds out, he returns uh, and saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Oh. Maybe he's not such a hero after all. Maybe he was more concerned about his own self and how he was going to face his father. Mm -hmm. Anyways, verse 31. Then they took Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and they dipped 
the robe in the blood of the goat. Interesting choice, a goat. Who, who else do you know that was deceived by a goat in recent memory? And who played in the deception? Jacob and his mother. Remember that? Interesting. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This is what uh, we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. Not our brother's robe, your son's robe. And he identified it and he said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins. And he mourned. That's got to be uncomfortable. I'm just saying. <laughs> and he mourned uh, for his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters rose. So obviously Jacob had other daughters besides Dinah. We don't know their names. But they all rose up to comfort him. But he what? He refused to be comforted. He said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. I will grieve my son until the day I die. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt, to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Jacob's pain, the death of a child, a favored son. <laughs> the scriptures will go on to talk about trouble and tribulation. In fact, the Bible says there is a time coming that is called the great tribulation. Tribulation means trouble. And it's also called the time of Jacob's trouble. A painful time of suffering. And though that great time of suffering, we believe, is still future, trouble is nothing new to us, is it? And it was nothing new to the characters of Scripture that we see in these passages. But it's interesting. Did you notice Christmas tree? Christmas is coming. Chris reminded us of that. You read the Christmas story. You read it in Matthew. It still has a little bit of a lean. Yeah. Eileen, the Christmas tree. It is a new tree, but it looks like the old tree <clears throat> in better condition. Um, <laughs> Matthew, the wise men, go to Herod. Where is he? Herod calls his wise, his, his wise men. Uh, we don't know, but we think maybe Bethlehem might be a good place to look. If you find him there, come back and tell me. They go, they find the Christ child, they, come back, they don't come back. Because God warns them in a dream, don't do it. So they don't. Ah, but Herod, being the man that he was, not a nice person, evil, personified, decides that, oh well, I'll just kill all of the male children in Bethlehem under two years of age. This is Matthew's commentary 
on that event, quoting directly from Jeremiah 31. Okay, so I'm reading from Matthew 2. As Matthew quotes from Jeremiah 31, he says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Interesting. There's so much that's interesting about this. Here's something that's interesting. Rachel never lived to see any of her children grow up. She never lived to see harm come to them. And yet the passage says there, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. And I can't help but think that somehow that is a reference to what we're reading here. Not just here, because you understand that Joseph's death, as it were, in figure, is representative of, of, of the kind of suffering and trouble and death that permeates life in this world, including the sufferings of Jesus. Remember Jesus on the way to the cross, he falls down, and it was one of the women who ran up and, and was weeping there, and he said, don't weep for me. Weep for your own children. This is all very, very, I find this all very fascinating. Now, here's something else that's really fascinating, okay? As I said, that's a direct quote from Jeremiah 31, verse 20. Or sorry, 16, uh, verse 16 uh, to, through 20. Um, no, I lied again. 15, 31, 15. But I want you to listen to 16 to 20, okay? So, Jeremiah 31, 15. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. Verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, declares the Lord. Your children shall come back. Your children shall come back. Verse 18, I have heard Ephraim grieving. Who's Ephraim? Now, if you read your scriptures and you study your Bible and you don't just poo-poo the Old Testament, but you actually study it and read it, you will know who Ephraim is. Who was Ephraim's father? Joseph. Joseph went down to Egypt. There is no tribe of Joseph. Did you notice that? But there is a tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, who were both Joseph's sons. Interesting. Ephraim. I've heard him grieving. God says to the prophet Jeremiah, I've heard him grieving. Is Ephraim my dear son? He is my darling child. God calls Ephraim his darling child. I think I like that. I know I always like when people call me darling. And either she's from Newfoundland or she thinks I'm really something. Or both. I'll take both. Uh, um, yeah, so, you see, there's, a, there's a, a commercial here, okay? I'm going to give you a commercial. If you want to understand Scripture, you have to study Scripture. 
You can't just listen to people selectively pick through and pick the parts that seem to make sense out of context. So study the word. Don't depend on me or somebody else or Charles Stanley or somebody, James McDonald, to tell you what you need to know from this, from this book here. That's important. So Joseph's gone to Egypt, and so as far as Jacob knows, he's dead. You couldn't have convinced Jacob otherwise if you were there that day. Because he had the coat. The coat that he made of many colors that is now only one color. Red. Blood red. Laying there at his feet. His son is dead. Sibling rivalry, we call it. And it's not just siblings who are rivals. All this stuff is very, very fascinating to me. I'm a younger brother. I have younger I have a younger brother and I have older brothers. Sticks me in the middle. <laughs> Not always a fun place to be, but I've learned that it's probably just as fun as being the oldest or the youngest. Just different. That's all. Question. Can you be different and be equal? I hope you know the answer to that is yes. Because we get confused at that point, and that's one of the points where we really go wrong. I, I'm, I pastor uh, two of my older brothers. I am their pastor. And I've never, ever once felt any resentment from either one of them for that. It doesn't have to be that way. Why do we compare ourselves with one another? It's not, just, it's not just us. You think of these 12 sons. Now race forward to the New Testament. Jesus picked how many to follow him? 12. Is that significant? Nod your head. Read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. It will help you understand the New Testament. Now, the 12 that Jesus called to follow him, he called them to be brothers in arms, did he not? Did they struggle with comparisons? All the time. Remember James and John? Get their mother to go with them, to talk to Jesus, to convince Jesus that they, maybe we could sit on your right hand and on your left hand in the kingdom. What is that? And the others, they thought, wow, what a good idea, Jesus. No. They went, can you believe those guys? What a bunch. All right? Why do we do the whole comparison thing? It's not just a sibling thing, although it's, maybe it shows itself in our, in our families because we, we see our brothers and sisters as peers. 
We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be equal. Oh, we understand you honor your father and your mother. You know, mom and dad, they have more authority. They're more, they're more important to the family because they're the ones that are in charge and they're control. And they're kind of, kind of over us. But hey, but you are not my father. You're not my mother. You're just my brother. And not only that, but you're younger than I am. And my hair is nicer than yours. Uh, so it's harder in families, maybe, but it's everywhere because it's a fundamental flaw. It's part of the fall. It's part of our human nature to be like this. My truck is bigger than your truck. My head is shinier than your head or my convertible is, maybe. You know, my computer files are bigger than your computer files. Or my father loved my mother more than he loves your mother. I don't know. I don't know what all was going through Joseph's mind or, or, or the other guy's minds, but I know it wasn't that dissimilar to what goes through our minds and our hearts and our families. And this is something that we struggle with. We compare ourselves with one another. And we confuse sameness with, uh, with equality. I, uh, I'm going to wrap up. But um, as I said, we see it in our homes, we see it at work, we see it in our politics, where it's never so much about ideas or ideologies, it's more about personalities and posturing. Um, I mentioned the 12 disciples. Uh, John. John, John, the disciple John. This is, this is one of the things that John liked to call himself. Are you ready for this? John called himself the one that Jesus loved. Can you picture this? You can read it in the Gospel of John. That's what he called himself. He called himself that more than once. And says he, he was the one that, was, that would lean. He was the youngest, by the way. He would lean on Jesus when everything's got late. It got late. You know, it's been, they've been in that room for a long time. He'd just lean over on Jesus and, he, and call himself the one that Jesus loved. And if you read John 21, and I know we don't have time this morning to read John 21. It's the last chapter in the Gospel of John after the resurrection of Jesus. I'm not even sure why John 21 is there. You should find out why John 21 is there because it's really significant because he's already appeared and he's already showed himself to, to the, all the disciples and everything. He said, here, scars, I, yep, it's me. Uh, and it says there that these things are written that whoever reads them and believes shall have eternal life. And then, and then it's John 21, where, G, where the disciples all go fishing and Jesus appears to them on the lake and everything. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me three times? And, and, and you know, you read that? Like, why is that there? It's interesting, fascinating. But one of the things that happens there is Peter says, uh, Jesus said to Peter, you know, life's going to get really hard for you. I won't go into the details, but Peter says, what about him? And he points to John. <laughs> you know, like, do you remember what Jesus said? I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to you. Don't worry about him. You follow me. Ah, uh, you know, uh, I got to wrap this up. Okay. Uh, Here's, here's the wrap-up, okay? There's no need of it. Here's the thing. They were all chosen. Now, they weren't all part of the lineage of Jesus. 
But look at Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He was the tribe of Benjamin. Um, they, were all, they were all chosen. They were all in. They were all part of the family. They weren't the same. They didn't have the same callings. They didn't have the same gifts. They didn't have the same abilities. They didn't have the same clothes. But are you okay with that? We're not the same. But we're loved just as much. Because our father is not Jacob. Our father doesn't play favorites. Jesus didn't just die for the ones he liked. He died for you. And he chose you. And any privilege, so hear, hear me on this if you will, any privilege we have, any perceived advantage we are given, even the ones we tend to think we've earned, we are given so that we can serve others. I don't want to, you know, steal my own thunder, but you've already read it yet anyway, hopefully. Joseph ends up saving his entire family. If it wasn't for Joseph, they would have all starved to death. It was for their good that God made Joseph a little different and chose him for the role that he chose him. Jacob may have favored Joseph over the others, but not God. And while I'm over time, Ten minutes after, I will say this too, that all of these other groups, the Ishmaelites and the Midianites and the Hittites, and all those groups, they weren't cast off either. You know, if you read the Old Testament carefully, you will understand that God chose Israel, yes, but God chose Israel to bring the Messiah into the world so that the whole world will be blessed. And every one of those other people groups, someday in heaven it says every what? Tribe. Every what? Tongue, every what? Nation. God loves them all. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God. I've asked this question before. You know, we don't have any Jewish people in our congregation, so none of us get in that way. We all get in by the shed blood of Jesus, who loved us enough to give his life us. Would you stand up with, uh, for, with me for prayer, if you would? <laughs> any privilege we have, any perceived advantage we are given, even the ones we may tend to think we've earned are given to us so that we can serve others. Any privilege that we think we lack and that we see others possessing, whether it's favor, fame, or fortune, we need to do two things. We need to be happy for them. And two, we need to learn to count our own blessings. I love the equality that is ours in the family of God. Every single one of us, no matter the status or place that society might try and assign us with worldly values, every single one of us is a choice son or daughter of God.
There's no need for, no room for jealousy or comparisons. It just is what it is. And there is an incredible peace that comes when we learn to stop comparing ourselves with others. And when we look to him and receive the validation that we so desperately want and need from him. And not from the people around us. There's a lot of lessons in there. And I am so hot, I'm melting. All right, it's 12 minutes after. Are we done or are we done? We have to pray. But other than that, are we done? So you got it? Take some time this week. Whatever devotional track you're on, take some time to read through these passages. Pray and ask God to speak to your heart. Ask him to be your teacher, uh, and he will. But for, for closing, um, will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this tremendous group of people. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for the amazing, awesome privilege of being part of the family of God through faith in Jesus your chosen son, your only begotten son. And that we can be heirs with Christ. And that your love extends to each and every one of us. And that you have worked in history and time and space to bring the Savior of the world into the world. And now we have what we are celebrating in these days of Christmas. We have that relationship with you as your children, your choice sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Lord, that there is no room or no, no need for comparisons, for jealousy, or for favoritism. And we thank you, Lord, that there is no favoritism with you. You are our Father, and you love us. We thank you for how great and how amazing and how wonderful you are. In Jesus' name, amen.